0: Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers.
1: Hello, my name is Adam Smith. Welcome to the fourth and final of our podcast recordings for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website on location from the Alzheimer's Association International Conference in Chicago. I should start by apologising for the odd knock and bang and clank that you might hear in the background that's because this really is coming toward the end now and a lot of the rooms have been packed up so we've snuck into a room that i promised despite the echo it's not a toilet is it <laughs> it's not a toilet um this week we've been recording a podcast at the end of each today discussing what we discovered at the aic from that day to share with early career researchers who haven't managed to make it out to chicago Uh, Today we have another fantastic panel, so I'm pleased to welcome Katie Subs from Alzheimer's Research UK, James Quinn from University of Manchester. I always get that the wrong way around. Is it University of Manchester or Manchester University? It's the University of Manchester. It is. I got you right then. Not the University of Manchester.
0: It's only Edinburgh that has the official there. I
1: don't know this.
0: I'm
1: going to have to Google this. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we've also got uh, Nicholas Firth from um, University College london which is where of course i am too so great let's get started by finding out a little bit more about our panel um nick maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself
2: yeah, so I'm a computer scientist who works in a cent- the Centre for Medical Image Computing at UCL, and I'm the only person in the group that doesn't work with medical images. So I do a lot of model building, statistical analysis on uh, cognitive data or psychophysiological data from wearables, things such as watches monitoring sleep or things such as heart rate monitoring. And looking at all sorts of different correlations to see whether we can improve cognitive testing, and also more recently looking at uh, how people respond to artistic experiences.
1: Cool. I mean, uh, do you know what the wearables have been? A th- they've come up a few times this conference, haven't they? Increasingly. So thanks, Nick um, and James.
3: Um, hello, I'm James. I'm a final year PhD student at the University of Manchester. I have just googled it, and it is the University, the University of Manchester. Manchester. So at least we've now clarified that. Um, I'm researching, I've got two aspects of my project, but they're all kind of around the cell biology of different types of dementia. One of my projects is looking at the protein tau, how it gets chopped up in different types of diseases, and kind of the effects of this process. And the other part of my project is looking to find new biomarkers of disease, and we're looking in uh, blood samples of patients with Alzheimer's and control to see if we can find a difference.
0: Fantastic, thank you. And um, Katie? Hi, so um, I'll start with my research actually. So back in the day, um, I was down in Southampton um, playing with Drosophila, trying to understand axonal degeneration and tauopathy, and I have the cliché de SciComm's journey of I realised I was happier talking about science than doing it. Um, And so after finishing my PhD, I was fortunate enough to land my current role at Alzheimer's Research UK. So I work in our communications team, um, so that's a lot of writing, a lot of talking, sharing all the exciting stuff at... Events like this, um, and also doing a lot of public engagement events. So last weekend I was at Latitude Music Festival, oh, telling it's awful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> telling festival goers about dementia, um, trying to crack some myths uh, bust the myths, and uh, yeah, get them excited about dementia and the, the hope that lies in research.
1: And I like you said back in the day, like you're like you're old or
0: something.
1: <laughs> it's not that long ago, is it really? <laughs>
0: no actually yeah, it was three I finished three years ago but that's long enough
1: cool well thank you very much I, and if you need help at any of those festivals talking <laughs> Nick James you oh, will the, yeah. some of
2: my lot actually went to Latitude as well the guys from Created Out of Mind yeah. were there and they had a really torrid time showing an eight minute film that's all they did eight, eight, <laughs> eight minute film two days of otherwise partying by the looks of it so. Hmm. So, (laughs) well,
1: um, actually, I know Nick and James, you've, of course, both been presenting. You've not just been having fun and listening to other people's talks here in Chicago, so maybe... um Nick, would you like to start by telling us a bit about what you've been presenting here?
2: Yeah, so I I had a talk at the the Technology and Dementia pre-conference on Saturday, and I also had a poster today, and both of the things were on the same subject, which was looking at the Amazon Echo, and whether or not it could be used to facilitate independence in people with dementia. In particular, we've been working with people who have got prominent visual spatial and visual perceptual problems in a disease called posterior cortical atrophy, which is a, a rare variant of Alzheimer's disease and we got some people and we gave them some Amazon Echoes and Spotify and other cool bits of pieces and we let them rip for 10 weeks. And uh, I had these grand ideas that people would be able to navigate their home a lot better and use all of this smart home integration. But the, the final results came in and really people just used it the same as everybody else did. They listened to Spotify and the radio and they set oven timers. But the general conversation with participants was that they actually felt like they could do more in their home by themselves after the 10 weeks. So it was positive results.
1: That's cool. And, and really great to see like really readily available technology being used in that way. So if that was... Uh, something that was proven you could that would be easy to then replicate and for people to definitely to
2: and actually the the guys with pca have got a really tight-knit community and they talk on the facebook page and the people that were taking part in the study have been sharing the, their experiences on the facebook page and other people have since been in contact saying we've read about this can we have your you know i've got like a cheat sheet for people to use the devices and yeah it's, it's been really good actually and although we've not done a proper study on feasibility or efficacy we've got some really good, promising pilot results. So,
1: And do Amazon, like, because I know all these big companies now, like Google and Apple and people like that, have got these health departments, haven't they, that are trying to look at how they apply. Have Amazon got the cert?
2: They have. They recently started, and I've recently got in contact with them because they're quite a big, faceless organisation. It's quite difficult to actually find a human being to talk to. I've recently found someone, and they're really interested in what we've been doing, so fingers crossed in the future we can do more with them.
1: Cool. Thanks, Nick. That's really interesting. And I should just say at this point, of course, that Nick, you very kindly came into our studio a few weeks ago and you to record a podcast with Emma Harding... You've been working with on the same subject, so th- uh, I think anybody who's interested in that should, should, should subscribe, should subscribe to our podcast, and then that'll be out sometime in August or early September, and you can hear more about that in detail. Um, so coming to you, James, you've had a few. Have you had a poster, an oral,
3: poster and a talk? Poster so and a talk. I gave a talk on Sunday. Um, yeah it was it was a really good experience actually Um, so I talked about the project I've been doing surrounding Tao got lots of interest in that um, and yeah it's been nice to kind of you kind of get your face out there a little bit especially the the thing about this conference is not that many early career researchers giving talks so I felt really lucky to have an opportunity to give a talk um, and just kind of talk a bit about my research Mm -hmm. it was only 12 minutes but it was i ran over slightly but you know it was okay who doesn't though Um, i think
0: actually some of the best talks that i've heard at the conference have been from the early career researchers who actually put the time in to tell a nice story keep within time rather than just trotting out the same old stuff that they have for the past five to ten years so and
1: those people that spend the first five minutes explaining what alzheimer's (laughs) is to a room full of to a room full of neurologists and neuroscientists it's just there's so much of Yeah. I mean, even the posters. The first box of a poster spends ten minutes explaining what. <laughs> Alzheimer's
2: yeah. is an insidious disease. <laughs> if I see that one more time, yeah. days.
1: Is there anything? So, so what we is what particularly, James? Were you highlighting? Uh, is so,
3: m- can the project I've done around tau is I've identified a new uh, protease. So this is basically an enzyme that comes in, chops up tau, generates some fragments, and. We're showing that these are specific to different types of uh, dementia. And then also trying to characterise them. So we're showing that these these uh, chopped up versions of tau, they're more likely to aggregate, more likely to stick together, more likely to spread between cells. Um, so we're just trying to really characterise the mechanisms of these uh, proteins and just try and work out what the mechanisms are and why they are specific to these types of dementia. So that was kind of one... One aspect of my of my work, and then I gave a poster presentation on Tuesday, and that was surrounding the plasma uh, proteomics. So what we've done here is we've looked at twenty six Alzheimer's and thirty uh, control patients, and looked in the blood, and we've com- we've just basically been able to find fifteen proteins that can say fifteen using these fifteen proteins, we can say with pretty good accuracy these people have Alzheimer's, these people are controls, without knowing and then kind of going back and taking a look at that. And that got a lot of interest. It was really nice to present the work because a few people came up to us and said, oh, we've got loads of samples. If you want to use them, um, get in touch. So it's things like this, coming to these kind of events, it allows you to meet with people who are the the guys running the the big cohorts and running, have all the databases that you need to access.
1: And And we're really good in the UK for cohorts, aren't we? Between the dementia platform, UK, and we obviously, ePads coming on board now as well. And there's various other... Cohorts where, and like of, of course you have got ones. the biobanks as yeah. well, and we've got the brains for dementia research and yeah. the tissue banks. there UK feels really well, well serviced in cohorts. Mm. That's really interesting, and I guess no shortage of work there. So if you're coming to the PhD, you you you're going to be fine for a <laughs> postdoc, right? You, it's all yeah, hopefully. <laughs> What's we'll,
3: uh, the space? What's <laughs> Thanks,
1: James. And. Uh, so Katie, I know obviously you're not presenting, but mm. ARUK uh, here again, yeah. And so what what have ARUK been up to while you've been here?
0: So we have, we have a stand in the exhibition area, and actually that's a really good way for us to get our name out there with international researchers, so um, we've got a number of grant schemes now that um, are open to people in other countries outside the UK, as well as our more traditional response mode grant schemes, so it's a really good way for us to get that out there, um, but also we've been showing people our our virtual reality experience of dementia a walk through dementia Um, and this always proves popular wherever we go um, whatever audience we take it to and a lot of people are saying oh I think I'll try and use this with my group or um, lots of things like that and then what I've been doing is trying to write as much as I can so the UK press is very interested in the conference um, actually there's a lot of media stuff going on around um what's been talked about here so trying to make sure that they've got the right end of the stick is part of what we do and then i've written a couple of blogs too so today i wrote one about the gut brain axis there were some talks yesterday about that and actually it's something we've not talked about with our with our supporters so um it's a new area to kind of explore and explain to people cool
1: and the the virtual reality thing can they can people do that Themselves is this like an? Yeah. An, uh, you can download. And
0: yeah. So the app is completely free to download, and it's available on Android and on iPhones. Um, so just search for a walk through dementia, and you can download it. The videos are also on YouTube, and the platform it uses, the Google Cardboard, is pretty much the entry level of virtual reality. It's cheap. It's about six pounds to buy one of these boxes. Um, so yeah, it's a really good thing, and we try and push it as much as we can.
1: No, it's really interesting. Thank you, uh, Katie. So, and again, I. I just coming back to james and katie i guess if people want to know more about your work obviously for nick we've said there'll be the podcast in a few weeks but maybe we can just capture everybody's twitter names now just to get you out there so nick you're
2: on you are on twitter i am on twitter my twitter handle is pi man 314 and that's the greek letter pi not because you ate all the pies no it's because when i was 18 years old i got a tattoo of pie on the back of my head so that's done. Right, and me. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I've <can laughs> confirmed <laughs> that. It, and, and as you
1: start thinning. Yes, is, yes, it, <laughs> it's, it's an area of concern for me at the moment.
2: Yeah.
0: I'm glad I'm not the only one with a science tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: you've got a science tattoo. What's uh, yours? I've
0: got a mitochondria.
1: I'm not going to ask where it is. <laughs> <laughs> but so, and James, isn't it about time you got tattooed?
3: I haven't got a tattoo. Um, I kind of want to get a B.
1: A B, oh, yeah, Manchester. Manchester.
3: Oh, okay, yeah, um, but that might have to come after my PhD. But now I've said it on. Maybe this. a bee on a
1: brain, or that that could be a could work.
3: That, that would be cool. A B, a B bee rectangle, a B tangled up. There we are. Yeah, a bee caught in a web. Yeah. Well, that's if a bit you, deep, If but yeah, you want to find out about my potential tattoos, that. <laughs> you can find out on Twitter. Oh, um, and I'm at tweet with Quinn, so it's n
1: And we're going to go find a tattoo place in Chicago. Yeah, no. We'll see after (laughs) the early career event tonight. Uh, How about you, Katie? I don't know, are you going to give us ARUK, or do you in a personal capacity? We have
0: two work accounts. So, at ARUK News captures pretty much everything. It's our general account. We've got uh, at ARUK Scientist, where all our kind of researcher-facing stuff, so opportunities, training schemes, grants, that sort of thing. And then my personal one is at Katie L Stubbs, and that's Katie spelt with a Y, so, and yeah, and um, last night I did one of my most popular tweets after a few glasses of wine about imposter syndrome um, and uh, have been laughed at all day. So Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: there's no such thing as bad publicity, is no, there? Is right? no, <laughs> no, not at all. So I had a poster today as well uh, talking about the Dementia Researcher website and the work behind what we did to develop it. So I just shared some statistics and how the site's been used so mm. far because we've been really pleased. It's had over 500 the registers, which we set ourselves as an objective for the first year, and we've hit that in the first few months, so we obviously need to be more ambitious for mm-hmm. the rest of the year, and we've really enjoyed having a booth here to talk about the Dementia Researcher website and showing how it can help early career researchers from across the world, not just in the UK as well. Uh, if anybody's interested in knowing more about how we set about this, or if anybody's interested in contributing blogs to the website um, from the UK or overseas, you can find me on Twitter at Research. Question? Yeah?
0: Do other disease areas have something like dementia research, or is this kind of first not first that in I class? Can find.
1: Yeah, not that I can find. We've had a, I've had some people from primary care and different mm. areas of research come back since and say that they thought it was great. This is yeah. a, a good idea, and I, I recently said, well, we'd be quite. There's another. A charity that was interested so we said we'd let them potentially take a copy of it mm. i mean not obviously the content but the format the yeah. layout save some money not having to reproduce the entire site themselves and that was for i can't remember what disease area so i think it was for rare diseases mm. researchers working on rare diseases
0: i just think it's amazing if you think of this and you think of things like joint dementia research um often seen as the underdog area dementia research is but actually we're leading the way in a lot of initiatives so yeah. Um,
1: yeah I completely agree There's the, these public facing initiatives are there and of course I have to say working for the NIHR the NIHR mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society are really pleased to be able to bring these to help people. Mm. So let's move on. Today was the fourth and the last full day of the conference. It's on,
0: Is it on tomorrow morning as well? Yeah. Yes, later morning? start at 8.30. <gasps> oh, extra half hour, extra bed, half hour in bed, everybody. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so lo- today was the last full day of the conference, but it seems like some of the big announcements mm. kind of came today. They were held back today. And I know I'm grateful for you all to join us today because I know... You've had to miss the last session of the day, and I know Professor Linda Clare from Exeter is presenting right now, Mm. Um, but my colleague Piers is there, so we're looking forward to getting more about that. But, um, yeah, so some of the big announcements came today. I'm thinking of the ESI and Biogen uh, news. Currently
0: taking Twitter by storm. Yeah,
1: and then there was the work on the effects of pollution. Mm -hmm. And then the study, which so, uh, which I know, I don't think any of us managed to get to, but there was a study that showed intensive blood pressure control could reduce risks of MCI. So, Kitty, I know you've managed to make those big talks. Mm-hmm. Maybe let's. What is what's Twitter saying about ECI? ECI, ICI well, and biogen. What, well, what did they say?
0: Well, so they said that this was the the largest trial of its type that has shown. Kind of support for the amyloid cascade hypothesis, so it's a it's an anti-amyloid antibody called let me get this right, yeah. band twenty four oh one, yeah, um, and so it was a phase two b, and they were doing multiple different doses in an adaptive trial design. Um, And they were talking up um, how they planned out the study and how it was different. And they've come up with a different metric to measure change. So because their cohort is um, MCI and very early stages of Alzheimer's disease, you need a metric that's um, an outcome that's going to be sensitive enough to detect that change. So they were kind of talking up this one that they've made. Um, I don't know if it's that good, but basically what they've said is that they've been able to detect the change on the highest dose of this ban 2401 drug. Oh,
1: that's over 18 months.
0: Over 18 months it um, it cleared amyloid from the brain so they were doing um, PET scanning to show that and 80% of the people on the highest dose became amyloid negative um, having been on it um, so that is that's really quite astounding and in hand with that they did see some cognitive benefits as well using their, let me get this right, it's called ADCOMs. They saw a 30% reduction in the cognitive decline, so a slowing of the cognitive decline by 30% in their 10 milligram, twice twice-a-month dose. And
1: that was eight... I, I mean, I made a few notes as well. But that was 856
2: people yeah. on five doses.
0: That is it's, the biggest one we've had.
2: Is that AD comes FDA-approved?
0: Oh, I don't know. I'd have to do some desk research. Yeah,
2: I wonder whether or not it actually counts as a positive, mm. whether or not they'd get approval based off the back of I that. I guess
0: if it's, a, if it's a Phase 2B, they've got to show... Uh, 'Cause they also they did use on their secondary outcomes they had ADS COG and uh, CDR sum of boxes, yeah. which the other ones are using. And I think CDR sum of boxes is what Ajucaniumab was using. Um, so they they've compared it with that and they've also seen benefit in those, but the as as they kind of showed in the graphs, that the change wasn't as Steep, so it's not hasn't got the sensitivity to detect that much milder change at the earlier yeah. stages of the disease.
1: Because they're um, saying it didn't act, wasn't showing any improvement after 12 months, was it? It's, it's at 18 months. It, that's well, that's what the announcement said. The yeah, drug didn't seem to be working at 12 months, but the trial in um, the new custom endpoint and at 18 yeah. months. I took so pictures of the. Screen. There was also it was also a new adaptive design
2: mm. as well. I, I think the, the the most take-home thing for me is that it's a monoclonal antibody, so it's going to be massively expensive to produce and put into people. And if it's going to be 18 months, then, and at MCI, you're going to have to blanket give it to everyone with MCI to see any approval. No, n- it's still going to be approved in the UK. I can't see the nice, because the amount of money that it would cost to get it into people is uh, well, yeah, and, and, the cynic and in me. So it yeah.
1: would also mean, I mean, particularly for the UK, I know because obviously working with, Working on running joint dementia research, and I worked on supporting some recruitment, some of these drug studies. But we're going to have to then get better at identifying people with MCI because Mm. MCI is just not consistently used as a diagnostic term in Um. the UK. People don't come to get checked out until they've gone beyond MCI, and we're into early Alzheimer's disease. But
0: if we have drugs on the market that can this change that can have these benefits will that drive higher diagnostic well, rates
1: and it, that that would finally address some of those skeptics and people that are saying you know we, we i know it's an argument we don't like but what's the point of an early diagnosis if we've got nothing to offer mm. well
2: if you have got something to offer maybe yeah. that would drive but if it's an early diagnosis then the cost of it is going to be so high the nhs won't be able to afford it yeah Mm. It's I, uh,
0: I guess that's all that health economic stuff. I know that um, our policy team's doing a lot of work on that, trying to work out what the evidence will have to get to show the benefit because uh, at the moment dementia is not a medical cost in the UK, it's a social care cost and it's a hidden cost. Um, as well so it's trying to provide that evidence to say you know actually there are a lot more costs associated than the nhs is currently seeing so yeah we are going to have to spend more but over time we're going to save more and
1: well and i I think actually i mean i i know from um from my what's interesting at least is that at least that conversation is going on now Mm. is that everybody's hoping that there'll be some treatment coming through i don't know you've but ARUK have said, do you want a treatment Our by- mission
0: is in line with a G7 um, kind of declaration of a disease-modifying treatment by 2025. We say a life-changing treatment because actually new symptomatic treatments can still provide a lot of improvement yeah. in people's quality of living. Um, so yeah, a life-changing treatment by 2025. Um, I, th- I think it's possible.
1: Well, and the cool thing is is uh, well, I think that the at least we've been smart in anticipating that that's, mm. not, that's going to come at a cost. Yeah, And so there are conversations going on to say that when this treatment this does become available mm. how is it going to be able to be implemented and afforded? Because you can imagine the outcry if there suddenly was a yeah. treatment that is unaffordable from the public there's so you know 450 some thousand people with a diagnosis
2: Mm. of of dementia in the uk but but Um, it happens in cancer as well you see people that have got um late stage cancer but nice look at quality of years lives and they say There's a press release that comes out of maybe some right-wing newspaper that says that there's this new amazing drug out and lots of people with cancer then want to go and use that drug. But NICE have said actually the quality of life years that you get is so minimal that they're not going to approve it for the cost. So I guess
1: we should all really, I guess by the time people are listening to this podcast, I'm guessing that this news might have already... Hit the headlines tomorrow. Yeah, so with the press maybe? release
0: having gone out, I think it went out to the UK press on Friday, so they've had the time to work it up. They've been tapping in and listening into the presentation that just took place. So yeah, it'll be. I would expect prominently in the UK press yeah. tomorrow morning. And,
1: and the news is is that they're working on now how to make that into more trials, aren't mm. they? Eisai and Biogen are working up for more trials. Yeah. Um, hopefully there, there'll also be trials that are going on in the UK, because I know when the aducanumab Biogen study results were published in Nature two years ago, yeah. that created a massive spike yeah. for joint dementia research. Yeah, people.
0: so um, I wrote up the comment, it was quite very early on in my time at ARUK, and I wrote up the comment for that. And we put in our Dementia Research info line number into that, which is how people sign up to join Dementia Research. And the Express printed our phone number, and we had an influx, a deluge of people wanting to get involved with the trial. And actually, we know that people that we spoke to the day and the day after the announcement then subsequently were entered into that trial. And I think it recruited much faster than no, by a expecting. I, yeah,
1: I worked on that as well. So that's let's watch this space tomorrow <laughs> when people suddenly jump in.
0: One interesting thing, so the first question in that talk today was from... Um, Eric Caron, who used to be our director of research at ARUK, um, and he said that uh, the preclinical data in mice, um, the, this antibody didn't clear plaque, so were they surprised that it cleared plaque from humans, and why didn't it clear plaque from the mice? And apparently it's all to do with the model being quite severe, it was, had the Swedish mutation in it, but I just think that's quite an interesting thing, because everyone always says, you know, we've cured Alzheimer's in mice multiple times.
1: And now they've cured Alzheimer's in people but not in the mice?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's this difficult thing. No model is perfect, but it's having that broader understanding of, of the disease. Still, I, I think so it's... To get it's, it to that stage of clinical trials. It's exciting
1: it? news, isn't it? I mean, mm. this is, you know, having had a year of this has failed, that has failed, mm. having something that's coming forward, which is something to cling to and say, well, this is, we're making progress, is, is exciting... Yes. Um, and I think if there is a takeaway away from the public, from this whole of the conference, it'll be that that captures yeah, their, the captures their um, interest. Um, so you've also, moving on, there was a big talk this morning about environmental factors environmental and pollution. Factors,
0: pollution. So yeah, this is again something the public's very interested in. Um, there was a study out in January 2017 that was looking at busy roads and the proximity with which you lived to a busy road affected your dementia risk. So I went along to a session and there was four talks about pollution, three about kind of particulates, so air pollution and one about noise pollution. Um, but the one that I'm going to probably focus on actually came from a Scottish study out of the Dementia Research Centre in Edinburgh. Um, and this was um, led by Tom Russ there and um, it's using the 1936 Lothian Birth Cohort which is a pretty cool cohort because it was in 1947 all 11-year-olds in Scotland were tested for their intelligence and then they've been followed now over their lifetime so it's a really rich data set that they've got um, from these people that were born in 1936 and then they've done some cool modelling so we don't have data on air particulates and pollution uh, dating back then but you can kind of put it together based on other measures, Um, and so they they did all this modeling to kind of work out what air pollution was like and how it varied depending on where people were living, and then kind of um, looked at, did it increase people's risk? Um, I don't think anybody would be surprised to hear that air particulates do increase the risk of dementia. Um, It's, yeah, probably through inflammatory pathways or maybe a direct action. But, um, yeah, and they found that it was the accumulation of air pollution over a lifetime that seemed to be the important factor. So the kind of early life exposure seemed to be the really crucial thing there. Um, So, yeah, and then actually the the talk after that was on noise pollution. And the poor speaker had um, (laughs) audio feedback and Mm -hmm. issues with her microscope, which I just thought was really, (laughs) (laughs) really ironic, ironic, (laughs) yeah.
1: (laughs) So, I, I don't know, don't we're hearing so, I mean, across this conference and before, risk factors, risk factors, risk factors, every time. Do you think, I mean, are we gonna, there isn't going to be a single cause of this in the end, is there? It? it could just be, it's just going to be a, how do we explore the combinations of all these things, not just any one thing? I don't know, you're the, are you the big, you're the one here, James, that might argue that you're going to find a science solution to this rather than a, a whole group of different factors?
3: Um, I really think it's going to be a mixture of everything I think we're going to need to do all the lifestyle factors that reduce your risk you're going to need to take all these different drugs targeting amyloid targeting tau, targeting your information it's going to be a much bigger story than, I think um, unfortunately it's going to be an expensive story to kind of really fix it but I think the field is only going to develop and uh, as it progresses on I think th- these drugs will get cheaper and cheaper uh, with time and yeah it, it, I I, I really don't think there's going to be a single science.
1: Well, that and and clearly Clearly, just the the lifestyle and a change in society as a whole, or you have to end up just agreeing that it's something that a certain percentage of the population will live with if we don't change things individually.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting that incidents in the UK is going down because of our changing lifestyles so the fact that everyone is educated is really protective um, but also I think it's the CFAS cohort they found a drop and um, all Carol Brains work from Cambridge they found a drop in incidents and they attributed it to men improving their heart health and that was reducing the incidence of dementia so um, I think there's, there's a lot to be said I, I Nothing really new is coming out in the epidemiology. It's it's heart health risk factors, it's social interaction, it's keeping your brain active. But if there are ways that we can get people to adopt these changes, then we can see huge... Huge benefits.
1: Uh, um, the population's appetite for risk. I guess we know mm-hmm. that there are lots of things related to other diseases, and people still do them. Yeah. You know, yeah. well, there was the thing on 30% on on Sunday was related to hypertension and, and lifestyle and education mm-hmm. and things like that. But I suppose some people might say, "Well, I can live with a 30% risk." Or they might go, "Actually, I want if it's a 10% mm-hmm. risk, I'm okay." <laughs> Where do you balance off that? Smoking's bad for you. Lots of people do it.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a personal decision, I guess, on how much you enjoy smoking and how much you value those extra five minutes of life you kick off uh, every cigarette you have. I, it's, well, it's it's a really personal choice, isn't it? A,
1: and and so I know one of the other talks you went to, Katie, was about the gut. Are you going to tell us we can't eat bad stuff now? Well, so no, well? it wasn't really. So we can't have television. The, no the fizzy thing is drinks. with the,
0: with the gut the gut brain axis stuff. I mean, there's only really been researched as a whole for less than twenty years now. Um, so the it's the, still in its infancy, it, it appears with dementia. Um, so they know that people with Alzheimer's disease have a different profile in their gut microbiome. Um, but uh, So it seems to be a shift towards more pro-inflammatory bacteria and a lower level of anti-inflammatory bacteria. Um, but then it's we don't really know the next steps after that. So there's a change. Is that change because people have Alzheimer's disease and there's something else going on there? Or is it that change is then driving high levels of inflammation, driving more damage in the brain? Um, More more research is needed, um, is the phrase I probably say the most in my job. But (laughs) yeah, it it is quite interesting. And I think, again, if we can understand, can you influence your gut microbiome? What is it that lays yours down? Um, Do we need to work out who has the best one? And is it that we just have to have uh, fecal transplants at various different points in our life um, to maintain a really healthy gut biome? So there was one guy that was talking, and he said that if you took the... Was it the the microbiome from a lean woman from Africa, and put it into a mouse? Everything was fine. If you put um, the microbiome from an American woman, whether or not she was lean or obese, it had um, detrimental effects to the mouse's health. The mouse's health. So. There is, there's something really interesting in there, but, yeah, we don't yet know what the ideal bio- microbiome is. We don't know if there's a different fingerprint for different types of dementia. Um, so all that needs to be kind of understood. But, yeah, it's it's more of the inflammation message, and it's another way that inflammation could be affecting the brain.
1: So something to inspire our podcast listeners? If they're thinking <laughs> of something maybe to research, that sounds like it could be a, yeah. a hot topic.
0: So um, one of the core themes at the UK DRI at Imperial College is looking at the, the gut-brain axis in dementia. Venture,
1: and I don't know if they're looking for people right now, but there is jobs. Yes, advertised I think they are. Website. Yeah, there's there's
0: <laughs> lots of the UK DRI as it picks up speed, as it grows, as it establishes. There's always jobs. If it looks like coming out.
1: I did actually see. I think Imperial advertised three rules while we've been out here in the mm. AC. I don't know if it's in that same line. Yeah. Let's move on, Nick, because we're already, we're 30 minutes in. It's time is getting away from, no you didn't at all. (laughs) Uh,
2: Nick, what have you seen, what have you seen today? I guess the most interesting session for me, which has also been popping up quite a lot consistently across the conference, was on sleep and how sleep can affect dementia or is affected by dementia, and it's one of those things, again, we don't quite understand whether it's one way or the other, um, whether it's, it's sleep that can cause a higher risk factor in dementia or whether it's early, causing, early causes of dementia cause sleep. Uh, but a lot of things on, like, circadian rhythm and how people that have got different circadian rhythms um, can have these very different patterns of cognitive abilities um, which is quite interesting Um, and also the first feasibility study run uh, by someone at UCL actually Jill Livingston at UCL she ran a big study looking at whether sleep interventions could be used to improve quality of life for people with dementia so more care focused than basic research focused but she saw that it was feasible and that she actually saw some slight efficacy so people were actually getting a higher quality of life and they were happier because they were getting more better quality sleep using these quite simple interventions like going to bed a bit later rather than napping during the day um, light treatments and things like that so it's really varied between you know the basic science circadian rhythm type stuff through to the care uh, but it's been popping up at lots of different sessions sleep so it's, it's really interesting
1: cool um, we could all do with some extra sleep, I think.
0: Yeah, sleep. I, I would like an extra few hours from last night, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. you're
1: going to have quite a night tonight, though, of course.
0: No, no, no i always behave was,
1: was there anything else nick particularly or was
2: that um i think from that session that was basically it but i've just realized actually just saying about napping there was a session on excess napping and mm-hmm. how it's really bad for you it so is. actually oh. napping too much is is uh, increases your risk of dementia because doesn't it
0: just lower your nighttime sleep quality because you just can't get the same depth i recently started using a sleep mask Big fan. Highly recommend. Me too. Really, really changed. Like, the last three weeks, it's changed my life. Really? Yeah.
2: Yeah,
1: well, the, the, the,
2: yeah the big ones you get, like, on aeroplanes. But yeah. I've got, like, a, a silk one as well. So it feels feels Ooh. delicious.
1: <laughs> Everything I
2: enjoy has, has kind of gone out
1: the window this week. I like it good now. In fact, there was a whole... Did you see there was a whole conversation the other week about what's the definition of a, how long is a nap? Mm. How long is too long to be defined as a nap?
0: Well, isn't it where you don't want to hit a deep sleep cycle because you'll wake up feeling worse, so you want to go just into light sleep? BSS yeah. so yeah. well, well, like, doing
2: twenty minute bursts. Twenty minutes, yeah. half an hour. I thought was a nap,
1: but some people said two
2: hours. Yeah, I'm a two hour kind of guy. You're a two hour <laughs> napper. Um,
1: but the, uh, James it, never sleeps. I can tell. He just <laughs> he doesn't just believe in a nap. He's too no, young. But they're, they're,
3: <laughs> they do. Just talking of nothing. They do have a Zen room here where I, we, we, on we, one of my friends wanted me to show me the Zen room. We open the door and there's just six people just.
1: No way. I'm just discovering <laughs> that today. Where's the mapping room? It's, um, next, to it's the next, to the, next to
3: the student lounge. Do so you have to
1: be a student to use it? No, no, no. Any, it
3: was entirely usable by anyone. But I think it's just whatever space you can find. You just take that space because people were lying on sofas. It was a it was oh a sight God. to behold.
1: Yes. I'm really in, I'm surprised you didn't find yourself in there
0: today. I'm too busy. I've got all these <laughs> blogs to write, Adam. <laughs> all these tweets to send. Okay,
1: uh, James. What have you What have you Picked up on.
3: Um, so there was two things that kind of stood out most to me. Uh, there was a plenary session. So these are the the big sessions where they introduce the speakers with music and yeah, it's 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 an impressive way of getting your attention. Um, but yeah, there was there was a talk by um, I'm going to annihilate his name here, but uh, Guo Jun Bu, and he is from the Washington, I do not know Mayo Clinic um, in the states, and he was looking at Apwee and presenting which is quite rare for this conference, extremely really, really new data, and on a lot of things as well. So it was really exciting, and um, it was nice to see where he's looking at the different um, isoforms of ApoE. So you have E2, E3, E4. E4 gives you an increased risk of uh, Alzheimer's disease, and E2 is like lower risk, and E3 is kind of uh, normal level. Um, And showing that looking at E4... um, APOE4 and then looking at, not just in the brain where it's normally been studied, but looking at outside of the brain and showing that by doing changes to APOE outside of the brain, it was affecting things happening in the brain. So this is the whole kind of idea that (laughs) Alzheimer's and dementia is not just purely related to the brain, it's the whole body Mm -hmm. uh, system. And that was kind of linked in the next session I went to, which was the emerging concepts in basic science series, which was a panel discussion. Um, unfortunately it wasn't as uh, packed out as they were hoping, I think there was another big news story going on, which we've just talked about, um, but yeah, it was, it was very interesting in the kind of summarised the main uh, emerging concepts so there's one on circadian rhythm, one on oligodendrocytes, one on mi- the microbiome so lots of things that we've just been discussing there, um, and then, then again um, this whole idea of the kind of uh, Alzheimer's or different types of dementia as being a whole um, immune system and Whole body thing was really, really coming up. Um, so yeah, it was a very interesting day, but it was a lot more like not focused entirely on the brain, which is good because we need to start thinking about it in a more uh, global view.
1: And that's because a theme that's come through this podcast is the the importance of collaborations between different diseases. And it's interesting then today to say about to talk about as well not just different diseases but different parts of the body. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. just a, there's there's it's the whole.
0: Yeah.
2: Holistic, the needs to take a holistic yeah. view the, the APOE talk was. I was in that one in the plenary session and it was great he covered everything from the structural biology of how the isoforms are actually different going through to the heterozygosity and homozygosity risk factors and then talking about the pathways in the cells and then he built up to all of this new data as well, whereas normally these talks are quite difficult, he gave a really nice overview and worked his way up to this new data, so I think that a lot of people would have learnt a lot from that because in a lot of studies that we do in the modelling side we just use, oh we'll throw in APOE as a covariate and we'll regress out that effect or we we stratify populations based on whether or not they do or don't have the alleles. Uh, but now we've actually, I feel like I've got a much better understanding of what's going on at a more basic biology level. That's really
1: great. So we're running short of time I think. So, But as this is the last day of the conference, just in, in very, very quickly... Uh, What do we think? Has it been a good conference? Would you recommend this to people who haven't been before next year? Have you had a good time? Have you learnt lots? Yeah. Yes. So I didn't ask anybody that question particularly. Then everybody's just nodded. I should have been more specific,
3: Nick.
2: This is my third AIC, and I'd say that um, the quality has probably been the highest that we've been so far, and the most positive outlook for the first time we've had an AIC where we can actually almost see some positive results happening, whereas the previous ones it's been a lot of negative trial results.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool,
1: James. This is your first, right?
3: This is my first um, ever AIC. Um, yeah, it, it was an experience, definitely. Um, and the science, in parts, has been really, really interesting. But there's, I think I think you get that with every conference, where there's a few of the talks that are basically just a repeat of the previous talk. But um, it's good to see such a diverse range of research being presented. And the, the good thing and the bad thing, I don't know, it, I think it's... It, you kind of pigeonhole yourself a little bit because you go to the sessions that you're most interested in and then you're then you're like, oh, I've just read that paper because they're presenting well, the page for But this is the, the cool thing about this conference, I think, but is you can, if you yeah. want to go yeah. learn
1: about something yeah. else because there's... There's something for everybody, so mm-hmm. if you wanted to come and spend a little bit of time yeah. in your comfort zone, yeah. and then you could go to different mm-hmm. things, which I think inspires that different way of thinking and that and those new ideas. I think
3: I'm just the final year PhD student who's thinking, tau, 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 tau. Well, and I
1: know from talking to uh, Oz yeah. and Isabel that were here yesterday, they'd, they'd be trying to persuade you that next year you should be applying to be an i volunteer. Yeah, and so I, about it. And I can't be
3: an iStart volunteer because I won't be a student anymore, however, I would highly recommend other people to apply for that scheme because I think you get a lot more out of the conference than you do is just being uh, there because you're kind of you're there with a big group of people and you're kind of trying to make the conference yeah. happen also. also PhD chat for it
2: forces you to get out of bed in the morning rather than just missing the all the, the PhD yeah. in the morning yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Also,
0: and I, I loved there was one guy who I spotted in a couple of sessions who was so good with the don't take photography sign and was really actually like enforcing it when people had <laughs> <laughs> asked yeah, really. to photography I saw someone
2: who put it in front of someone's camera today <laughs> to stop them from taking <laughs> it they were actively like no you just take a picture of
1: this instead and, yeah. I, and I'm pretty sure that I know that a lot of what's been talked about over the last few days that we've picked up podcast, and then Katie, you've talked about today is going to be in the AR UK blog. I yep, expect. so
0: we've done. I will have done in total three blogs, and so one of them I'm going to do probably next week, actually, because we want to do some cool graphics for it. But yeah, we've done. We try and blog as much as we can, and also we try and do more on social media, so little videos. There's a, a video where, where we walk through from the outside the ex- exhibition hall all the way in in like warp speed, and then I appear into frame at warp speed, and then it goes to the normal speed, and I start talking. Um, that that was. That's funny. quite flashy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we we've done some more stuff like that to try and draw people in, snappy little videos. Brilliant. But, yeah.
1: And I, Well, and I know lots of what we've been talked about today is all over Twitter using hashtag AIC18. So I think don't take our word for it. Have a look for there for yourself. I know there's pictures of the posters, despite some of the rules, and uh-huh. pictures of some of the presentations. So I think that's all we've got time for today. Um, and just be, none of you did the 5K run, right?
3: I did a 10K instead. Ha, ha, ha. You, no. <laughs> no, no, legitimately did. Um, yeah, the 5K was running, and then... Me and a guy who used to be in my lab did the 10K. It was quite nice because I've just finished my running down dementia challenge. You did a 10K run today? Or no, not today. It was, when was the five? Yesterday. yesterday. It was yesterday.
1: You did the 10K yesterday and finished running dementia at the same time? Running down dementia, yes.
3: So Fantastic. that's a... Um, I'm, I'm sure, Katie so. it well, It's, it's
0: a, a virtual running participation event, but it's a great way for people to hit, hit a target but also raise money for a fantastic cause. Well
1: done, James. Yeah. Thank you very much. You okay, you very much. so thank you to our panellists, Katie, Nick and James. Listeners, don't forget to visit our website to check out profiles on all of our panellists where you can also post questions to them uh, in the comments section. You'll also find details of their Twitter feeds and I know they're all happy to interact with with everybody here please do subscribe to this podcast uh which is available in itunes and soundcloud and tag us using the hashtag ecr dementia thank you for listening i hope these recordings from the aaic have been interesting uh as i said earlier this is the last one for chicago and we'll be back to our normal schedule with our next podcast recording coming on the 6th of august so thank you very much everybody and um i hope these have been interesting thanks
0: a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher, everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.